Capes on the Couch podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Dr. Issues is a psychiatrist, but he is not your psychiatrist and does not have knowledge of your individual situation. For any personal mental health concerns, please consult your own health care providers. For medical emergencies, please call 911 or the designated number in your area immediately. Remember that you are not alone and help is out there. Hello and welcome to Capes on the Couch, where comics get counseling. I'm Anthony Sitko. And I'm Dr. Issues. This is issue number 129. And in honor of the Suicide Squad coming out this week, we are going to be covering the head of the Suicide Squad, Amanda Waller, uh, as requested by our present level patron, Matt, who requested her a couple months ago. And I said, we're going to put a pin in that because I wanted to do a character from the comics to tie in with the James Gunn Suicide Squad film, not to be confused with Suicide Squad. But this is The Suicide Squad, which is apparently a sequel slash reboot slash we're ignoring the first film, but the characters are still there. I'm not really sure. Yeah, how. pretty much pretty much everything they've done with the Superman franchise numerous times at this point. I mean, I get it, but at least there with the Superman franchise, it was kind of like reboots, you know, from the Reeve slash Brandon Routh version to the Henry Cavill version. That was a clear reboot. Yeah. I mean, the closest thing I could think of is maybe Brandon Routh coming in and they're basically saying the first two Superman movies happened, but we're ignoring three and four. Yeah, but in any case, it's it's an unusual thing, and uh, I am looking forward to watching it on HBO Max. I'm not going to the theater for that one. Yeah, same. But uh, so in any case, Amanda Waller, created by John Ostrander, Len Wein, and John Byrne in Legends Number One, November 1986. Amanda Waller is introduced as the leader of Suicide Squad, a branch of Task Force X. She butts heads with basically everybody on the team especially Captain Boomerang, but she gets results and it's later revealed that her family was murdered living in Chicago and she worked her way up from congressional aid to the head of the Suicide Squad. During the Janus Directive, she was nearly assassinated and replaced with a doppelganger, but she managed to kill the double and passed as the double, uh, leading everyone to think she actually had been replaced so that she could find out who sent them. She later serves under President Lex Luthor as Secretary of Metahuman Affairs until she is imprisoned for running afoul of the president. She's released by Luther's successor and put in charge of Checkmate, which is another one of those many secretive organizations within the DC universe. She serves as both Black King and White Queen. Uh, she's discovered to be responsible for an anti-Superman organization called The Last Line, and she created a monster named All-American Boy made of kryptonite and doomsday cells to battle Superman should he ever go rogue. That's an interesting creation, but... I'm, I'm noticing a theme here of take the things that you know fully well could be potentially disastrous and do it anyway. Yeah. She's been imprisoned. It's a, it's a whole thing. So during the New 52 reboot of the whole DC universe, to say nothing of the film reboot, um, she is back in charge of the Suicide Squad and is later responsible for helping to create the Justice League of America. And then in DC Rebirth, she reports directly to President Obama and tells him that Suicide Squad is basically a necessary evil. Um, but she puts Rick Flagg in charge of Task Force X. And this is basically um, right around, or this is, this is, I believe, the book that is um, closely tied in with the, the first Suicide Squad film. She later fakes her own assassination to reveal an international cabal that the squad helps to take down. So as we've said, there's, there's a couple of characters where so many of their storylines are lather, rinse, and repeat, and Amanda Waller is one of them. Your average Amanda Waller storyline is Suicide Squad. She has her own objectives that she uses the squad to carry out. She doesn't tell anybody what those objectives are. The squad gets pissed off at her. Ultimately, she gets what she wants anyway and deals with whatever the repercussions are. Lather, rinse, repeat. 
Yeah, this is one of those situations where you actually get more variety, even if it's the same premise of her being in charge and, and doing things in very uh, unorthodox ways. But at least you get different things besides Suicide Squad. In the Justice League animated series, you get this whole set of clones of other amalgams of heroes. You get the origin and the Batman Beyond story out of all things. You, you get so, so many things that it points out. She just uses knowledge and goes down really deep rabbit holes and challenges everyone to say, um, you know, I know these things sound bad, but maybe we could just turn it around. So in a really, really messed up way, it's turning that frown upside down and then turning it back the way it was again. And everybody hates her for it. And using that frown or smile as a boomerang. If, <laughs> if you're Harkness, you're using it to throw it at Amanda Waller. So Matt, as, uh, as he has always want to do, has a, a lengthy write-up. And as kind of a first, we're not going to necessarily break down the issues into three because I think so much of it is all tied together. And Matt sums it up very beautifully thusly. How in the hell does someone get to be like that? where not only the criminals she works with, but other people in general are literally nothing to her. They have absolutely no agency to her except as instruments, means to her goals, or whatever tasks she's been assigned by the people above her. Her wonderfully fleshed out backstory does a great job of explaining her iron determination, aggressiveness, and take no shit from anyone demeanor. And it's easy to see how it would give her a fight fire with fire philosophy, but not the place of complete and utter detachment from basic moral principles she regularly goes to in order to do her job. She's certainly not a sociopath, at least I don't think so. She's demonstrated plenty of times that she's perfectly capable of empathy. In fact, I'd argue she's more skilled at empathy than most people. It's what makes her so effective at her job, reading people and being able to intuit what they're feeling and the things they want. She just ultimately doesn't care what happens to anyone else unless it's a part of her mission objective. And it's not an act she puts on for the benefit of the people in the Suicide Squad or the targets they're sent up against. She displays the same casual disregard for superheroes, government officials, military brass, and world leaders. It's like other people just don't matter to her at all. The only thing I can come up with to maybe explain her is that owing to the circumstances of her early life, It'd be really easy to have a hyper-pessimistic default assumptions that humans are generally evil, venial, corrupt little shits who don't warrant much consideration. That's something that, unfortunately, with how Alden said in her ways Waller is, it'd be really difficult to get her to change. She probably doesn't view anything about herself as being a problem that needs fixing, even though it's gotten her thrown into prison more than once. Well, Matt, tell us how you really feel. I mean, if you really want the Reader's Digest version of... Amanda Waller, there you have it. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, I'm just going to dive in a little bit. And although I, was, I don't, I was about to say, well, that's it for Doc Issues. I'm Anthony. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs> um, so I, I don't have split out separate points, but what Matt is getting at with what he described is Amanda Waller having some significant negative events. And you mentioned it in the rundown with her family dying. And, and so there's trauma there and there are several ways that people can react to trauma. And the one that overwhelmingly is coming through in what Matt's describing, in my opinion, is depersonalization. It's the idea that because you have lost that connection with the people that are closest to you through no fault of your own, then you find it incredibly difficult to reconnect with yourself, let alone those around you. And in the case of someone like Amanda Waller, she can't just, no pun intended, or pun intended if it makes you feel better, wall off parts of herself to the limit of just her emotions. She has to do it with everyone all the time. And as always, I change my tone of voice. She does it with startling efficacy. She is able to, as Matt said, use the fact that she's aware of how humans are supposed to interact with one another and she has experienced it for herself to still have those contacts in a way that 
if you didn't know what she was looking for, could actually be a positive thing. But she intentionally makes it so that you don't even come close to trying to get to like her. She will say something immediately to turn you off to her. That's intentional. Because if you do the opposite, if you're trying to ingratiate people in a nice way, it implies that you want people to get to know more about you. And you may have to reciprocate by putting in the effort to get to understand them at a level above and beyond what this particular task is. That's, that's wasted energy for her. So from that standpoint, she now can just go through this almost like a flow chart. If this, then that. And that is incredibly efficient if you're writing code. It may not be so great if you're trying to have like just a very nice dinner with people you want to spend time with. So she's capable of doing those things, but she has intentionally put up all of these roadblocks and barriers so that people recognize pretty quickly. They don't necessarily, and, and she makes it clear, you don't have to jump over these barriers. They're there if you really, 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 really wanted to do it. But I'm going to make sure that they're so high and metaphorically Place with barbed wire and all the other stuff that'll prevent you from getting in, that you're not going to take that effort, which makes it much easier for her just to ignore you other than saying, did you do your job or not? And if you didn't do your job, that's uh, that's going to be something that she'll deal with as any manager would. Uh, but she's not going to deal with it nicely. So, I mean, that's just to start. Obviously, we can. Well, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say on the transactional level, you know, when you're describing the, the flow chart, so to speak, something that came to mind and, and I'm, I'm really trying to be careful how I say this because I'm not trying to say this as a pejorative, nor am I trying to say that Amanda Waller is on the autism spectrum. But having said that, there are a large number of people, and I've done a lot of reading and spoken to, to folks as well on the autism spectrum who have difficulty relating to people on that empathetic level. And, and I know in Matt's description, he, he argues that she's more empathetic than, that he believes that she's more empathetic than most. But to your point, that there are folks that through social awkwardness, autism spectrum disorders, or what have you, that feel that a conversation, just, just a regular conversation must follow some kind of a flow chart because that is the only way in which they feel that they can relate to or interact with regular people on a functional basis. And so when you describe the flow chart, that's where my brain went. And I thought that it was very interesting how the Amanda Waller is certainly not on spectrum at all. But in that regard, that I do see some similarity in the interaction styles. Obviously, the the intentions are wildly different and the results are also very different, but the methodology used is similar. And so that's something to, to consider. Something that I've done for the overwhelming majority of my life, um, and I feel I'm not entirely alone in this, is I will pre-have a conversation with people. If I know that there's a topic that I have to discuss with someone and I'm anxious about it or I'm nervous as to how it's going to go, I will play it out good, medium, bad and say, okay, I'll say this. And then this is kind of how they'll respond. And if they say this, then I'll, if they say X, then I'll answer Y. But if they say why, then I'll answer Z and go through the points of the conversation before it's happened. So this way, when I'm actually having the conversation, I feel better prepared because it's less spontaneous and more like I'm answering a prompt, so to speak. And I feel like I'm not alone in doing that. Um, yeah. But it, it's yeah. very incredibly nerve wracking for me. and. And this is something that I discuss with my therapist that I can't do that for every single conversation that I have with every single person. I don't want to. I sometimes find myself thinking about that 
I, I have backed off of that. But for major conversations, it does still happen. And I, I will go through a mental flow chart of, okay, this is, this is going great. And so this is where we're going to continue it. Or this is going just as badly as I thought it would. And these are the responses that I need that I've already calculated in my head. And I'll just close on saying this. The comfort that I find in that is that if I have pre-considered my responses, I'm far less inclined to have a knee-jerk emotional reaction from a place of anger, frustration, or hurt and say something that I could potentially regret. So if they say something that I know is going to create a major emotional response in me rather than lash out, which is not one of my better characteristics, I will just say, okay, they said this, now this is my response. And I can, I, it's, it's more of a rote recitation for me than, oh, you know what, up yours and, and the horse you rode in on kind of deal. So, yeah, that's, that's a great point. Well, great set of points. And, and yes, there are many people I know that, that have that style of pre-processing situations. I admit that that is a weak point of mine. I am really far on the opposite end. Uh, there, I, I would say the majority of my experiences and interactions with people are absolutely unscripted on my end, which on one hand leads to lots of surprises and emotional spontaneity that for the most part, I will say people at least from what I can glean by looking at their reactions, people tend to enjoy, but has also led to me putting my foot in my mouth or me injecting way more emotion than I intend to that I didn't expect and then having to rein it back. And, and then my analytical brain kicks in and starts to analyze everything after the fact as to how I screwed up. And it's almost inevitably all of that, like how I screwed everything up. and. I don't even remember the positives unless the other person gives me a hint that there was something positive. If someone laughs, okay, I'm on the right track. If someone is looking at me, though, very sternly, I have no idea what it means and I don't process that well and I just assume it's bad. So there you go, folks. You got two guys with with very different styles in that sense, because I know Anthony and I share very many things in common, but that's one where we're really on opposite ends of you know, not, not once again, not even referring to autism, just opposite ends of, of a certain type of social spectrum when it comes to interactions. Amanda Waller clearly falls on that pre-scripted side very heavily. And also uh, just, you know, to get back to, to bring it to her with with these things, because, of course, the other part that Matt's mentioning is she does all of this, but he points out she doesn't care about about people. And how how is that possible? Well, I'm not even disagreeing with him. I'm going to point out that this is beyond just typical Machiavellian end justifying the means. It's the idea that there is only the end. Everything else in life is purely the means. So why, why do we do this subtle nuanced song and dance when we get to the point? Either we exist or we don't. I always butcher this, so I actually have queued it up ahead of time from the movie Seven. From the character William Somerset, that was played by Morgan Freeman, Ernest Hemingway once wrote, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. So to go back to that trauma, the idea that she's experienced the fact that so many bad things have happened, as Matt said. Forget the pretense as to whether or not why people do what they do, if there's violence, if there's so much negativity in the world and all that stuff. We need to survive. And if you're telling me that people are doing things where our survival is at stake, then you just make sure that that end point happens. And so what I think Amanda finds so frustrating in dealing, especially with people that are higher up than her, is why are you pigeonholing our strategies and our systems? Just do whatever works at the end and you know don't worry about if it's considered the right way so from that standpoint who cares if you don't like your boss or your neighbor or your 
or or someone that in theory could be a friend, but you walled yourself off once again, you know, pun or no pun, uh, that you don't even care about them in, like as an individual person. But it's like, hey, guess what? 10 years from now, 20 years from now, a century from now, a millennia from now, humans are still going to exist because of the actions I took. That's it. That's all it comes down to. And when she has interactions sometimes when people ask her, why is she doing this? She's very, very clear about that. Like, well, you want me to do it your way? You've been in charge before me. You failed. If you're if you're going to let me do my thing, you know, you trust me to do this, then guess what? You're putting 100 percent trust. You're not even giving any anything else another thought. This is a situation where it's not whether or not plan A or plan B works or whatever. It's plan A, B, C, D all together and all effort all the time. It's uh, you, you can't have an Amanda Waller possibility. <laughs> That's the thing. She doesn't really leave much for possibility. She leaves for her exact nature to extract what she needs from each individual cog in the wheel. Yeah, and it's funny you're talking about trust that she's basically asking her superiors and as well everybody underneath her to put their full 100% unconditional faith in her, but she does not reciprocate at all. Not in the least, regardless of who it is. She is DTA. She is stone cold. Don't trust anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's it's gotten her burned repeatedly. Oh, and yeah. yet she she sticks to it. Yeah. That that's a fascinating thing that you you just mentioned. It, it's interesting because it's clear that she has so much instinctual need for once again that survival aspect. And yet I really do think this. I think her her point is if the consequence is anything short of death then so be it. So that doesn't scare her. Prison doesn't scare her. Demotions don't scare her. Torture doesn't scare her. But not being the most important factor at any time scares her. The idea of, I'm not just talking about the fact that she is never president, but she's close enough to the president that she knows that it, she'll be okay. There's a lot of insecurity the second that she feels like she's not in charge of something and something major. She's always willing to give that like that micrometer of saying, "Okay, I'm not the person, but I'm the person under the person. That's good enough. That's good enough. And let me run my world. Let me run that section, that segment. When she feels like she has that domain, then. Uh, uh, I don't want to say she's happy. That's the wrong word. She has some level of contentment. And anything that disrupts that leads to her most emotional points, which is usually anger, compared to the idea that if I just get the chance to usurp the president and become leader of the free world or whatever, like, I'm sure she has those machinations, but it doesn't it doesn't really extend that far because once again, there is a limit to the sphere that any one person feels like they can totally control. You know that you have to delegate things and she knows she has to delegate things. But once again, follow the script. If you're following the script, she'll delegate just about anything you want to you. She ultimately will find out for herself whether or not you did it. But in the time being in the moment, it's yours. It's yours. And you may feel like you have been backed into a corner or, or just forced to do this thing. And yet, hey, how many times has, you know, someone in the Suicide Squad done more than one mission because, well, they were obligated to to just live. But still, many people become martyrs because of the idea that they feel like living a life of servitude is nothing compared to taking a chance and being independent. Amanda Waller has this amazing way of manipulating people into the idea that there is something that's greater than yourself for whatever reason. 
even if it's not just self-preservation, even if it's other people that may get hurt or not. Uh, no, no, I was I was going to say sometimes there's a carrot, but not really. She's all stick. She is definitely someone that skews towards the idea that the threat of punishment is way greater than any possible theory of reward. She uses rewards as a talking point, but it's almost never her actual. It's never the actual payoff, never the actual benefit. The reason why Amanda Waller doesn't want to be president is because she would be the biggest fish in the pond, but the pond is way too large. With mm. the Suicide Squad, with Task Force X, she is a whale in a kiddie pool, and you mm. can't move without her knowing about it and her approving of it. Yeah. And if she doesn't like where you're swimming, she'll eat you. That's a and great, she doesn't yeah. want to be president because the pool would be too large and she wouldn't be able to dominate the sphere like she does with the smaller groups. As it stands, she enjoys being that all-encompassing presence. You know what? In, I'm glad in that, in that sphere. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I'm going to bring up something and I do want your thoughts on this too. I'll give mine, of course. But so we've dealt with someone who's really megomaniacal, and that's that's doom. And so what comes to mind with me, like the classic, you know, high school compare and contrast, because both of them have huge egos. But the thing is, doom has this bluster about him. He would love it for everybody, even if it's just his fiefdom. He would love it for everybody to know who he is at all times and just put it out there that he is the savior and all of that. I don't get that feel with Amanda Waller. I get the feel that if you happen to know, well, bully for you, uh, you know, great. But if you don't know, who cares? Because real G's move in silence like lasagna. Aha. I think that's where it comes from for her. She would respect somebody like Doom, but for her, the real power comes from just the results that she gets and knowing that she can get the people in front of the cameras, so to speak, to do what it is that she wants. Yeah. You know, it's the real power argument. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, man, oh man. You know, we think we've done a decent job with this so far. I agree. So uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to plug our sponsor, BetterHelp, and uh, some friends of ours. And then when we get back, we will get into treatment. Stay tuned. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your individual needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist. You can begin communicating within 48 hours. It isn't a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp has a network of over 15,000 counselors with a broad range of expertise. You can log in and message your counselor anytime and get timely and thoughtful responses. You can also schedule regular video or phone sessions. No waiting room required. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you feel you don't have a good connection. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial help is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit betterhelp.com capes. That's better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Capes on the Couch fans. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com capes. Have you ever found yourself confused about the current state of the MCU or whatever the hell is happening with the DC universe? Do you often have no idea what the hell the difference is between craft beer and that butt ice stuff at the gas station? Well, then look no further. We present to you Hops Geek News. We're yet another geek and beer podcast in an already oversaturated market. All right, all right. We drink and we pretend we know things. More often than not, we don't really know things, but we do talk some really great topics and we most definitely can drink. We'll deliver you news and then dive into any random topic you might have never knew you actually were passionate about. With lots of fun facts about beer. And from Marvel to DC and Star Wars, and to why Die Hard is most definitely a Christmas movie. Which it is. Basically anything that our spouses are sick of hearing us talk about. Join us on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes weekly. Just search Hops News. Hi, I'm Meredith Finch, and you're listening to Capes on the Couch. And we're back in universe treatment for Amanda Waller. As Matt says, she 
is old, set in her ways, and doesn't view anything about herself as being a problem that needs fixing. So I don't know what you would do. I have an idea. So I've noticed with some people that are really set in their ways and don't view anything about themselves as wrong, but also want control of everything and and things to be a certain way. Rather than just pushing back with that, maybe we could utilize that in a way that becomes a hobby. I give an example, for example, people that build ships in a bottle, model train sets, et cetera, et cetera. Those things allow a person to process thoughts once you get yourself distracted way better than you could imagine just having a conversation one-on-one in therapy. It's amazing what people can do when they're just by themselves and don't have to worry about the idea of either having to meet deadlines or have control of others and all of that. Once it's just you and your own headspace, then some interesting things come out. And Amanda Waller is starving for that, in my opinion. But it's not going to be as simple as saying, "Okay, build a, a, a model plane or you know something that simple. But I do think it could be miniature. And I do think it's a significant problem that might need solving. I don't know if you're going to pick up what I'm putting down here, especially since I already mentioned a bottle. The city you're of Candor. I was about to say the city of Candor. That's right. Or if you're reading the current run of uh, Superman by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Metropolis. Yeah. So just the idea that you take something that is legitimately a problem, but clearly is not always the number one thing that's on other people's minds. The idea that she could have full control over that, but then have to just dedicate because when People are that small, and I'm using air quotes. You know that at some point, it's just human nature. We like to create stories. And I don't, I don't think Amanda Wall is that far removed from humanity that with that sort of time, I think she would. And I think she would start to wonder about those people. And then all the consequences. And then how does this happen? And, and just all those things that start to get uncomfortable. And once that happens, I think that's when you start bringing back that emotional range and you start bringing back those parts of humanity that she has pushed down so, so far. Or she could just say, okay, here's what's supposed to do. Give a printout sheet to one of her underlings and say, okay, you do this. But it's better to try than not try. Do or do not. There is no try. I knew you were going to say it. I, I couldn't help it. Oh, and she would absolutely take door number two. She would absolutely <laughs> just go, get this done. This is your job if you don't do it. I'm going to blow your head off. Having said that, and this is something that I didn't mention in the, the first part of the, the episode, uh, nor in the background, but I read some Suicide Squad. I read different parts of different runs throughout the years because I didn't have the time to get into a deep dive on every single Suicide Squad run, nor every Amanda Waller-centric story. But the interesting thing I noted is that she wasn't always a complete emotionally distant individual in the very early suicide squad it's like the second or third issue she does really apologize to rick flag for what he deemed was her pushing things too far for the squad on the missions and i was like this doesn't track with current amanda waller but i think it was they had established the overwhelming majority of the the core of the character but they were still retaining some some semblance of humanity if pushed to the edges, but you really had to push her far. But I mean, now, like you read current Waller and she would never apologize for anything because to the point, she doesn't believe that anything she would do is wrong or needing a fixing. So having said all of that, out of universe then, I would think, you know, a high level bureaucrat who has been in charge, who has managed to survive say, multiple administrations, you know, a career government official. And as someone who works in state government, I, <laughs> I know several of them. And Matt, as a poli-sci person and former government employee, I'm sure he's got more than a few uh, examples in his brain. But just somebody who thinks that they're above reproach and that they are in control of, as you said earlier, their little fiefdom. And then as long as everything happens the way that they want it. They don't really care about anything else, that there, there is no world outside of that. And so it's egomania 
concentrated in a very specific area. Yeah, and I could even niche it down to people that are incredibly controlling of their family lives. A good example of that, I think, would be if anybody's seen the movies and Meet the Parents, Meet the Falkers. When, when someone runs a ship that tight, it, it can really start to, to stifle the people around them and they can start to resent them for it. Uh, and, and there are other examples in Walks of Life where you'll see that. And the idea that at some point, and, and this is the part that gets a little tricky, having that person recognize that at some point you're going to burn out on this. If you do this, you're, you're guaranteeing that everything you built up dies with you. And I don't just mean the idea that when you die, it's gone. It's when you don't have the exact energy or someone who has a different plan with more ability to start to demonstrate what they want to do to other people in a way that's now either with modern times or just an innovation that now is starting to get more recognition than you, than you ha- would have anticipated, then they're going to eat your lunch. They're, you're not going to be able to, to withstand that because nobody can hold something indefinitely, or at least it's, it's very unlikely. So just recognizing that there's nothing wrong with wanting a legacy. There's nothing wrong with wanting things to stay in a, in a healthy environment for yourself, especially when you feel like that is giving your life a sense of purpose. It's just adapting it and making sure that that person understands just because something isn't the way it was before doesn't mean you've lost your influence. It means that you now have an opportunity to show how important you are in a different way. So would you rather be the person that's known as the legacy track on a, on a song where people get that underground beat and they're like, mm, man, I'm glad that he sampled that as opposed to the person that says, don't ever use my stuff. And generations actually lose what you did because you decided that you needed to own the rights to everything and never let anybody sample, never let anybody produce anything else with your beats and everything else. And because of your attitude, everyone just puts you on the shelf because they never wanted to even interact with you or deal with you. I know I'm using music references here because that's what I like. But I mean, this is true for anybody in any industry or just the fact that your own family, if they now are independent. The way you handled your children, they may say to themselves, you know what? Thanks a lot. I'm glad that, you know, you gave me the background to do what I did in life. And now I'm going my own path and I don't ever have to deal with you ever again. Is that really what you want? Like just just recognize or having the person recognize that it doesn't have to be that way and, and trying to help them navigate interpersonally what these types of interactions are. If you always had a flow chart for everything, that's fine. But how about this? How about we remove one or two steps from that flow chart and see how you handle emotionally that spontaneity that happens? Who knows? It's going to lead to a lot of anxiety. It may lead to other emotions that you haven't experienced before, but there's also the chance that it can lead to some very happy moments, some smiling, laughing, or just totally like freaked out moments that later on you say, huh. I didn't die from that experience. I know that sounds exaggerating, but it's not. In the moment, you feel like your life is going to end or or like everything around you is going to collapse. And when it doesn't, that feedback that you get that you didn't plan for, that can be very telling. And having someone help you process that really, really can be the the meat of, of any interaction, of any encounter that you have with a therapist. because. The idea of scripting everything along is great for making sure you get a certain outcome, but that doesn't mean that you want to live your life that way without the other emotions at least coming about when you least expect them. That spice, that variety, that's the thing that can really help. And for someone like me, I know it's the exact opposite. I need to script out more. I know that about myself, and, I, and, and that is something that I work on. But I've seen it so many times the other way that it's really cool the first time a patient comes to me and says, you know, that wasn't as bad as I thought. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. But that comes with a level of 
self-awareness and willingness to concede control. Yeah. And that's why these types of situations, as I've said many times, makes it less likely that someone like this walks into my door willingly. So it's once again that that territory where I've had some some great experiences when it happens, but it's it's uncommon. Yeah, that's because the first thing I was thinking is there's no way she does this willingly or anyone of that ilk does it willingly. And secondly, to the extent that they're willing to even experiment with this, where do you find something low stakes enough that they're willing to concede control? Or that they think that in the case of the family, that if the if their child say, you, you know, you were talking earlier, that their child would say, okay, thanks for everything. Now I'm grown up and I don't have to deal with you anymore. The adult may be so narcissistic as to say, oak okay, and. Right. Right. Because it's, because it's not about, it's not about them. Like you do what you want. I'm going to do me. Right. My life has, and if you want to walk away, okay, that's on you. Yep. Yep. And that's the unfortunate situation that, that often happens, you know, but once again, it's, it can be a spouse, it can be anything, but often it's at the point where, as we've said before, once is random chance, twice is a coincidence. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating when you're on your third or fourth marriage, uh, you know, there, there might be one common thread there and it's, it's just going to be you. (laughs) If you smell everywhere you step, check the bottom of your shoe. Yep. So with all of that, and with the help of our friend Jasmine from Geeks Unleashed, let's see what happens when we get Amanda Waller on Dr. Issues' couch. What's going on? Where, where am I? Hello, Dr. Issues. What the hell? Amanda Waller, what are you doing? I don't do therapy sessions, and certainly not in your office. I have other plans for you. Do those plans involve untying me from this chair? Depends on how you answer the next few questions. Although, having read your file, I think I have an inkling as to how this will go. Is that so? Care to enlighten me then? Sure. You'll try to talk your way out of this. I'll explain what I'm doing. You'll still do your best to weasel out. I'll reveal that I implanted a bomb in the base of your skull. And then you'll do what I say. You what? Oh, the bomb? Well, I needed a failsafe to make sure you played along. What happened to asking nicely? I don't have time for that. I need this next mission to go smoothly, and there are some potential disruptive actors that need reining in. That's where your expertise comes into play. My expertise went out the window the second you made me a hostage. Surely you're aware of the research that indicates I'll tell you whatever you want to hear or do superficially whatever you say for the sake of self-preservation. At what point did you ignore conventional interaction for pure transactional gain? (sighs) Right on cue. The literature you suggest has only been applied to prisoners of war, and you're not part of that cohort. Also, is this your first attempt at stalling? I'm indulging because I think it's relevant to your duty. I trust that you've read Thaler's work. Nudge? His book on behavioral economics? Sure, I I love it because he describes humanity as a set of, you know, imperfect beings that are generally predictable but not perfectly rational. Lest I remind you, the point was subtle adjustments. This is totally too far. Is it? When the world's very existence is at stake? When I do things my way, there's as close to a guarantee of success as any Monte Carlo forecast would show. Trying to prove me wrong is trying to lower the odds. A gambling man like yourself should know the house always wins. So you've done as much planning as anyone can reasonably expect. Somehow I'm integral to this. That means my demise lowers your odds as well, right? Not exactly. I need a psychiatrist, not specifically you as the psychiatrist. You merely have some insight into the assets that could be useful. Then the rate-limiting step is time. So your hypothesis is that threatening instant death in a civilian is likely to lead to faster contrition than, oh, I don't know, convincing any professional that saving the world is worth the effort? Just how risky is this? 
Or did that part of the expected value curve get left off the page because you forgot how to manage that? Since you're about to lead into more stalling, I'll curtail your inquisition. Joker. Oh, oh, man. (laughs) Come on. Are you expecting me to cure the Joker under duress? I think it's necessary to inform you that- I'm well aware of your prior encounters. You're ideal, regardless of the outcomes. You didn't back down, and that's more than most can say. All I need is for you to string him along so nothing else goes wrong with the others involved. He electrocuted me! And you continued treating dozens of superpowered beings, deranged humans, and other sentient forms. This is quite the honor, to be handpicked to serve the greater good, even at the most inconvenient of times. You suck up to me now after you put the bomb in me? Lady, I respect your hustle and grit, but you got this all backwards. Don't think I'll let this be cheap. Money is irrelevant, you know that? Well, clearly to you, because apparently you don't want friendly mediums of exchange. I can't remember someone sounding so noble while being so mean. Who who hurt you bad enough for you to give up on everyone and yet still care about the world? Man, that's some traumatic dissonance. You're really trying to be the therapist right now after all the warnings? This is getting long, doctor. Or would you rather I called you our... Please! I I do all this because I want to help. Truly, I... Uh, I'm going to be honest. Anything I try with you or the Joker at this point is is beyond what I'm comfortable with as a professional. I meant what I said earlier. I, I just want this to stop. I hope you save the world. I also hope that you find the emotional center that you lost when your family died. And that's the line. <sighs> Shame. I wasn't sure if he'd try to make it personal. That was pointless. What now? Harvey Dent, automated legal team. Why? Private settlement based on medical alert on behalf of doctor issues. Insurance review for physical and mental health damages by an unknown organization. Discovery hearing with local, state, and federal committees. Justice League video chat. I don't have time for this. It's Waller. We're going to need four neurosurgeons and an orthospine surgeon here immediately. No, we don't need more bombs. Not yet, anyway. We'll mm, go on hiatus for that for a little while. And we're back. Are you okay? So the beauty of anesthesia for procedures is that you don't remember a thing. So I don't know what happened with the bomb when it was in me. And as far as I can tell, the bomb is somehow gone um and there's a whole lot of time in between so uh i guess i'm okay yeah speaking of whole your skull looks a little off well the the good news is that i still have a lot of hair to cover things up so except for like this large large scarred part but you know i would loan you some of mine but i don't have anything to give (laughs) (laughs) and a very special thank you to jasmine from the geeks unleashed podcast you can check them out at wearegeeksunleashed.podbean.com they basically cover all things geekiness mark and jasmine uh two major major fans from across the pond uh get into all manner of geeky stuff And uh, it's an excellent listen and definitely check them out. And thank you again, Jasmine. Uh, We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, play The Wall for us. So recommended reading is the the early Suicide Squad runs and also the Rebirth run. I think those are two of the better suited instances of of Waller's character and uh, a good feel for her characterization. So check those out. We will have links to them uh, in the show notes. No reviews to read uh, this month, but uh, if you'd like, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. 
If you leave us a rating and review and then email us at capesinthecouch at gmail.com with a screen cap of your review and your address, we will send you a sticker as a way to saying thank you uh, for being awesome. So a uh, side note, by the way, um, as of today, the episode this comes out, there is a sale on our T Public site. Uh, if you go to capesinthecouch.com slash merch, uh, there will be a link there to the T Public store. Uh, it's up to 35% off site-wide, August 4th through the 8th, as well as August 18th through the 21st. Uh, and August 18th will be the date in which we drop episode on Jim Gordon Jr. Uh, so upcoming episodes uh, next week is five from the Umbrella Academy, then Jim Gordon Jr., and then Crystal uh, of the Inhumans. You can find all of our episodes on our website, capesinthecouch.com. And uh, as I said, go to capesinthecouch.com slash merch and uh, check out the Tee Public store. And you can get some cool swag with our logo on it or our Why Because Comics design. We are on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Capes on the Couch. We have a Patreon if you want to subscribe and uh, unlock cool, awesome additional content, uh, uncensored stuff, as well as early access to all of our episodes. Go to patreon.com slash capes on the couch. We've got links for it in the show notes. And that's about all I've got. Doc, anything you want to add before we head out? Throughout your journey in life, if you come across a wall, yes, you may survive if you break through, but you're going to probably end up with some scars. Try and find a way around, over, or under, or find a door or window and make your life better as well as those around you. Very well said. For Doc Issues, I'm Anthony Sitko. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Capes on the Couch podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Dr. Issues is a psychiatrist, but he is not your psychiatrist and does not have knowledge of your individual situation. For any personal mental health concerns, please consult your own health care providers. For medical emergencies, please call 911 or the designated number in your area immediately. Remember that you are not alone and help is out there.